0: From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. When Parliament returns next week, Anthony Albanese's Labor Party will sit on the government benches for the first time. It's a significant test for what has changed since the election. Albanese's already made it clear that the agenda will be focused on legislating his climate targets. If he fails, it'll be a significant blow to his credibility. Today, columnist for The Saturday Paper, Paul Bongiorno. On the state of the environment, literally and politically. It's Friday, July 22. Paul, this week the government released the State of the Environment Report, and this report, it's a big deal in what it contains, the news that it has about the state of our our nation's parks and oceans and and animal habitat. But there's also something interesting about the timing of the release. Let's start with what it actually said, though. Can you tell me about it? Please welcome Tanya Plebersek.
1: Well, thank you so much, Jane, and thanks
2: to... Well, that's right, Ruby. On Tuesday, the new Environment Minister, Tanya Plibersek, released the report at the National Press Club. We deserve to know that Australia
1: has lost more mammal species to extinction than any other continent. Places literally burned into endangerment. Australia cleared over 7.7 million hectares of threatened species habitat across the country. That's an area bigger than Tasmania.
2: She was scathing on the condition Australia's environment was left in by the last government. And the report provided her plenty of ammunition for that.
1: Since the last report, marine heat waves have caused mass coral bleaching as a result of erosion, deforestation, intensive agriculture and climate change. Australia's soil is now generally in poor condition and it's getting worse. Abandoned fishing gear has been killing marine animals on an industrial scale.
2: Plibersec promised to overhaul environmental laws to better protect ecosystems. Our
1: government will set a goal of protecting 30 percent of our land and 30 percent of our oceans by 2030. We will spend 1.2 billion dollars to restore and Uh, repair the Great Barrier Reef. Um, We'll spend about a quarter of a billion dollars on threatened species. We'll explore the creation of new national parks and marine protected areas, including by pursuing the East Antarctic Marine
2: Park. These reports, you know, are released every five years and this one for the first time shows climate change while it's not only a factor, it is undeniably a major one.
1: Global warming multiplies environmental pressures everywhere. It heats our oceans, it deepens droughts, it intensifies disease, it destroys habitats, and it worsens extreme weather events, which tilt the balance of ecosystems beyond recognition.
2: The scientific panel responsible for the latest health check on the nation's habitats conclusively showed that climate change is no longer a future threat, but a present and frightening reality.
1: Australia's environment is bad and getting worse, as this report shows. And much of the destruction outlined in the state of the environment report will take years to turn around. Nevertheless, I am optimistic about the steps that we can take over the next three years.
2: Now, when I say the report was released, Ruby, on Tuesday, I should say belatedly released. This is the 2021 report, but it was so dire the previous government refused to release it.
0: Right, so they've had it since last year but they just didn't want to tell us.
2: Yeah, that's right. Then Environment Minister Susan Lee was given it in December and few doubts Scott Morrison told her to sit on it because of the looming election. The last thing the Coalition government needed was a damning indictment of its dereliction of environmental management in the past five years of its rule. Lee is now Deputy Opposition Leader but she was nowhere to be seen on the day of the release. National media outlets were told she was travelling and unavailable.
1: Well, the advice that has come through from Susan Lee, who was the former Environment Minister, is that at all times she complied with the requirements for releasing documents.
2: Her colleague, Karen Andrews, told ABC TV that Lee had acted within the law by choosing not to release the document before the election.
1: What I would say, though, in relation to the speech by Minister Plibersek today is that I was staggered that the first 15 minutes, quite frankly, was really just her paying out on the former government, which I thought was just a little bit uh, poor form for a National Press Club speech.
2: You know, this might be true, but it hardly makes a credible explanation for withholding it.
0: Mm. And this report, it sort of set the scene, didn't it, for the week ahead, because next week is the first sitting week for the parliament since the election, and it's going to be the first time that we'll see Albanese's Labor Party on the government benches.
2: Well, yes, indeed. The full impact of the change of government eight weeks ago will be clear on Tuesday when the new parliament sits for the first time and it'll be an acid test for the Albanese government, one it has largely set for itself in terms of raising standards and making a contentious emissions reduction bill its first paramount legislation. And despite claiming it doesn't need the Parliament to commit to its 43% reduction goal by 2030, it's invested too much time and energy to brook an easy defeat. In fact, I would say if it can't steer the bill through the Parliament it will suffer a stunning blow to its credibility.
0: Right, so the Albanese government is essentially making this legislation its first parliamentary test then. So what are the chances then for the bill? Will it just go through? Is this an easy win?
2: Well, it'll go through the lower house, where the government has a slim majority, but in the upper house, it's no sure thing. The coalition has made itself basically irrelevant in this argument. Peter Dutton has unilaterally declared they won't be supporting Labour's target. So this leads to what will certainly be tense negotiations between Labor and a crossbench made up of 12 Greens and three of the six Independents. And Ruby, it's far from clear how that will break. We'll
0: be back in a moment.
3: As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer.
2: For Sloan Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis,
0: Paul, we're talking about Labor's hope of legislating its climate targets next week and in the Senate it has to negotiate with the crossbench if it wants to get those targets through and that's going to involve talking with the Greens. And so how is that looking?
2: Well, the Greens are still working this out uh, themselves. The new 16-member Greens party room, 12 senators and four MPs, well, they held a retreat at Mount Tambourine in Queensland this week. But no final position was arrived at, though they have authorised Adam Bant and the leadership to begin negotiations. And Ruby, like all party rooms, there was a range of views from the hard line to the pragmatic. Uh, I have to say Adam Bant is leveraging his party's balance of power position for all it's worth. He's indicated support for the 43% target, but only if the government is prepared to show more ambition on ratcheting it up. And key to that seems to be the demand for no new coal and gas projects.
3: If the government leaves that open and says that they will allow new coal and gas projects to be uh, continue to be opened, then we don't see how they're serious about climate action and we don't see how it's consistent with even their weak target.
2: And more coal and gas flies in the face of the scientific consensus on the need to dramatically reduce global emissions within the next decade.
3: Part of the Greens' job is to try and push them and say, if we are in a climate emergency, which we are, and the government has just agreed to this week, in an emergency, you don't make the problem worse. You don't put the fire out while you're pouring petrol
2: on it. Last Sunday, Bant was calling for the abolition of the diesel fuel rebate for coal miners like Gina Reinhart and Clive Palmer and for the billions then to be put to subsidise more renewables.
3: They're the issues that we want to put on the table. We'll put them on the table in a good faith way, Um, but there has to be an end to the approach of it's my way or the highway, otherwise it's going to be a very long three
2: years. He accuses Prime Minister Anthony Albanese of adopting a my way or the highway approach.
0: Mm. And is that fair, do you think, Paul? Is that what Albanese is saying? Is the approach here hardline?
2: Well, Albanese has offered a pretty hard line on this. All through the campaign, he was at pains to say he wasn't going to have the Greens set his policy. But, Ruby, it's worth noting that Climate Change Minister Chris Bowen has now adopted a more conciliatory approach.
3: We're proceeding as we said we would proceed, which is to seek to legislate, and I've said that we would talk to the crossbench about sensible suggestions they have, which are in keeping with our mandate.
2: On Monday, he said he understood the Greens had to go through their party processes. But he was looking forward to a detailed conversation with Bant.
3: But we will work cooperatively with the crossbench about how we do that, and that's what we've been doing.
2: And there's an important point to note here. Bowen says the bill implements the Paris framework, which has a built-in ratcheting mechanism. The bill obliges a government to accept the target advice of what will be a beefed-up climate change authority. And as such, the legislation is by design a floor and not a ceiling. So I have to say that should address some of the Greens' concerns. Certainly, it's a more positive starting point.
0: Mm, But not their major concern, Paul, which, as you say, is the development of new coal and gas projects. But let's move on. What about the independents? Because they are a crucial part of the Senate as well. So do we know how they're going to be voting?
2: Well, Chris Bowen has already had a number of conversations with the independents. Labor's very keen to show them uh, respect, fully aware their success is an insurance policy for the next election. He's appealing to the new senators like David Pocock, but also Jackie Lambie and her new sidekick. And in this schmoozing, Bowen has an ally in the leader of the House, Tony Burke. He's also had conversations with the independents and is ensuring standing orders will acknowledge their greater presence. Burke will organise the first fortnight of Parliament in a way that will enable the new independents to give their formal first speeches ahead of the emissions target debate. Otherwise, given there are 35 new members from all sides, they could have been waiting for months.
0: Mm. And you said, Paul, that the coalition had made themselves... Irrelevant, really, in terms of this climate legislation because they're saying that they're not going to support Labor's targets. But can you tell me a bit more about how they're positioning themselves on this before we go into Parliament next week?
2: Well, uh, Peter Dutton has ruled out any changes to um, the coalition's uh, environment uh, policy.
3: Well, I'm, I'm making it very clear to the Labor Party now that we aren't supporting the legislation, which is the position that we took to the Australian people.
2: Uh, it's as if he hasn't noticed that uh, he lost the election in large part because of the climate change issue. He should just ask a few of the teals about that. The, the other point is that this week, the shadow assistant minister for climate change, no less, uh, Holly Hughes... Well, she uh, boldly said on national television that climate change is not an Australian problem. Climate change is not Australia's problem. It's not a regional problem. She ran the specious argument that uh, Australia can't do much about it because we only have 1.3% of the global emissions. It's breathtaking sophistry, really, but I have to say there'll be a Barney when the Coalition Party Room meets next week because not all Liberals agree with this position. And you have to also remember that the people that have a huge say in all of this and will continue to do that are the coal champions in the National Party.
0: Mm. Well, it's certain to be an interesting week in politics next week, Paul.
2: (laughs) Ruby, that could be something of an understatement. It's going to be a fascinating fortnight when the Parliament comes back and they battle out this crucial policy that's been largely ignored or underplayed for the past 10 years. Paul, thank you
0: so much for your time.
2: Thank you, Ruby. Bye.
0: Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Also in the news today, the Conservative Party in the UK has selected two candidates in the ballot to replace Boris Johnson as Britain's prime minister. Rishi Sunak, the former Chancellor of the Exchequer, and Liz Truss, the Foreign Secretary, will campaign for the votes of rank and file Conservative Party members over the next 6 weeks, with the result to be announced in early September. And the inquiry investigating former New South Wales deputy premier John Barilaro's appointment to a lucrative government role in New York has heard evidence that Barilaro pushed for the position to be established and for the appointment's process to be based on ministerial selection. Another staffer revealed that Barilaro said the role, which has a yearly salary of half a million dollars, was quote the job for when I get the fuck out of this place. Barilaro has responded to the revelations calling them fictitious. 7am is a daily show from The Monthly and The Saturday Paper. It's produced by Elle Marsh, Cara Jensen-McKinnon, Alex Tai and Alex Gow. Our technical producer is Atticus Basto. Brian Compo mixes the show. Our editor is Scott Mitchell. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. And sadly, we're saying goodbye to one of our producers this week, Elle Marsh. Thanks for everything you've done for the show and all the best with what comes next. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you next week.